0: Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entreprenista League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our experience week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our experience week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Peral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneur, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entreprenista League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at Entreprenista.com forward That's entreprenista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.
1: All periods of intensity eventually end. And even if it's a positive thing, I think it's also a reminder to celebrate the wins, no matter how small, because that too will end, right? Life is cyclical. And so I think if you're in a bad moment, It will end. If you're in a good moment, live it up, enjoy it, so.
0: Amy Schoenthal is a journalist, author, and marketing executive. Her passion for covering entrepreneurs stems from the deep admiration for the grit, resilience, and creativity that it takes to be a founder and the fearless way they power through setbacks. In today's episode, Amy peels back the curtain behind entrepreneurship and what she has seen be the mark of a successful entreprenista. Tune in to hear her tips and tricks on entrepreneurship. Coming up, the number one thing that Amy finds in a successful entrepreneur. The way female entrepreneurs are changing the world for all women. Amy shares how to identify if you're going through a setback, Amy, Courtney and I are so excited to finally have this conversation with you today. We were just chatting before we hit record. This has been a long time coming and and planning this episode. And I know you have so much insight and advice to share, especially from all of the women you've interviewed over, over the years. But I would love to learn more about you first. And if you could tell us a bit about your career journey and what led you to where you are today.
1: Sure. Well, like any good writer who values stability, when I graduated college, I went into marketing. (laughs) So I actually went into public relations, and I worked at a bunch of uh, small PR firms, and then I then I graduated to some big ones. Eventually, transitioning into social media marketing, influencer, all that good stuff. You're very much your wheelhouse. So I, but back to college, I was always like a writer. I was a journalism major. I was freelancing all through college. They sort of encouraged you in your journalism classes to go and get clips. Back then we walked around with a print journalism clipbook where we like pasted the pages of newspapers into a book. So that's where I'm coming from. But I think because I was trained in this way of like, okay, here's your thing that you're here to do. Here's your curriculum, your academics, but then go freelance on the side. I was always in this mode of do the thing you have to do, but then freelance on the side. So when I started my marketing career, I always sought out freelance opportunities, and so I've always been a writer, even if it was not necessarily my main source of income, which it you know never really has been. But that's that's fine. It's always remained a, a nice hobby, and a, and now a little a little side gig. But yeah, I just love writing. Always did it, and then eventually, I just the thing the thing just sort of snowballed, and I just kept uh, finding these really fascinating women who were building incredible solutions to society's biggest problems, to things that nobody had considered before. And, you know, with all the headlines of here are these big problems and here's everything that's wrong. I was kind of like over here seeing that actually there are people that are fixing this. No one's talking about them though. No one wants to talk about a positive story of people who are actually working on it. So, because I was working with Forbes at the time, I'm a a Forbes contributor. I started really, really focusing on this niche of profiling women founders and leaders, not just founders, but people who are making a significant impact on society and working to solve society's biggest problems. And there is a treasure trove. As you know, there is a treasure trove of people who are doing this work. And it's like, Let's get their stories out there. Let's get them funding. Let's get them attention because we could fix most of the things that are wrong if we just elevated these stories and put forth these solutions in in bigger ways. We love
2: what you're doing. And as you know, we've also had the pleasure of interviewing hundreds of women founders and leaders. What are some common traits that you find as you have interviewed
1: women? I think that the canned answer to this is supposed to be resilience and grit and work ethic and all that stuff. And that's all true. Obviously, anyone daring enough to build a company has an extreme amount of work ethic and is down to roll up their sleeves and get in there and figure out what needs to be done, even if they've never done something like this before. But one of the things I see so much is that the women that I speak to noticed that there is a huge problem. Nobody is working on solutions to them, and so they said, "Let's, you know, I'm going to quit my job and figure out what I need to do to get this thing solved." So I'm here at the Mother Honestly Summit with Blessing Adesian, who was a single mother, went to she's a chemical engineer. She went to work at like a major company right out of college, and she could not find childcare and she, I mean, she had an income, she had a salary, she was able to afford it, but she could not find it. She didn't have access to childcare and that was pervasive throughout her career. And eventually she left that, you know, she was at a fortune 100 company. She left all of these fortune 100 companies because they just couldn't support her in the workplace. And then she she came to realize that there was no system of support. And so she's out there now literally solving the childcare crisis with this whole work-life platform where you can take your employee flex benefits and put them towards whatever kind of care you want. It doesn't have to be child care. It can be elder care. It can be, you know, abortion travel costs, like literally anything that requires care. She is working to create a through line between the employee benefits that are offered at large organizations and make sure that employees are actually using them and get to use them in the way that they are intended. And making the whole process easier because only 6% of employees who have these types of benefits use them. And so she's just like, what's the problem? Why are we not using them? There's money. We're leaving money on the table. Let's figure it out. So she just basically built this whole dashboard to make it easier for people to access the benefits that their company offers. So we're not leaving money on the table and people are getting the support that they need. Like it's all there. But we need to just use it. So she is just building that, that bridge, which is amazing.
0: What have you found to be the most interesting thing about covering all of
1: these women founders and leaders over the years? Oh my goodness. Everyone's story is so different, but there is one through line that I do see through all of them, which is that generally their most brilliant ideas and their most successful ventures come from some sort of setback that they experience, like the story I just told. And once I started to notice this, now I just can't unsee it. Like it is in every story. Like I, you know, it could be a personal setback, a career setback, a societal setback. There is, and I, I can get into this more um, when we when we get there, but I think that there is a there's a lot of scientific evidence that post-traumatic growth is something that happens after like either everything you've been working towards has been taken away from you or what you thought to be true is now no longer true. It's like this usually negative experience that shakes up your whole world as you know it and then the people I interview, you know, one of the biggest themes is that they all go through this to whatever level they go through it at, whatever category of setback they have. And that's what that's what leads them to their brilliant idea. Because it's not just about I know, like a gap in the market that they're trying to fill it's literally about solving problems it's usually personal for them it's like solving problems that they personally experience and there's you know i just kept seeing this and seeing this and then i mean i have gone down a rabbit hole and we can talk about that a little bit later but we it's really true it's really the observation and the anecdote has been validated by research and experts and academic psychology and all kinds of concepts so it's very interesting
0: So I know your plan now is based on all of this experience and research and and information over the years, you have now decided to write a book. Can you tell us more about this and what it's going to be about and what we can expect?
1: Of course, this is a book about how founders and leaders persevere through setbacks because it has become unintentionally and then as of late a little bit more intentionally the subject of most of my articles that I publish. And now it's become the subject of most of my conversations. When I tell people that I'm working on a book about setbacks, because I have found that people who go through something, see something a little bit more clearly, and then pivot to build something fairly incredible, everyone can relate to that concept. Even if you you know, don't have a big dramatic story around it. Everyone has the experience and it's not like the Silicon Valley fail big, make mistakes. Like we're not trying to glorify pain here. It's just that setbacks are an inevitable part of life. And you will experience them at some point. I experienced five of them this morning. And what I was really curious about was, is there a process? Why do these leaders and founders work through setbacks in a way that feels like so productive and so enlightening? Like, How do we get to that, I guess, like magical golden nugget moment where we fast forward through our pain and we just like get to the brilliant thing that we're going to build? You can't fast forward through it, but you can be very intentional about how you work through it if you notice that you are embarking on a setback. And so this journey to write this book is about identifying the setback cycle, the phases that we go through when we encounter a setback, how we work through it and how we get to the other side and what we do once we're there. And it's based on the anecdotes, the stories, the themes. And then it's also backed up by academic research. I have interviewed psychologists, I've interviewed neuroscientists, I've interviewed, you know, executive coaches, career coaches, and people who have seen this, but have also studied it. And yeah, that's the journey I've been on this past, I guess, year and a half now.
2: What is the setback cycle? Can you describe it for us?
1: Yeah, well, as it stands right now, there are four phases. Number one is establish. It's the four E's, I call it. Number one is establish because this may sound surprising, but some people don't even realize when they're going through a setback, you can sleepwalk into one very, very easily. So number one is, you know, like therapists call it name it to tame it. That's what we have to do. (laughs) Realize that you're in a setback. I have sleptwalked through them. And it takes, you know, sometimes you look back and you're like, wait, that was a really pivotal moment. That led me down a very bad path. Like, why did I do that? Or, you know, career-wise, sure. Even, you know, if you know a, a friend who gets out of a relationship and you're like, oh my God, finally. And they're like, wait, what? How did you know? You can see that someone else is going through a setback a little bit more easily than yourself. So phase one is establish. Then phase two is embrace. This is the worst part. I hate this part. Embrace sucks. It is like, you know, again, it's psychology based. You have to feel all the feelings. You have to work through it. But what happens is that those, those feelings that you work through offer clues. Why do I feel like this? Why did I fail? What did I do wrong? What did other people do wrong? You have to work through blaming other people, blaming yourself. And you have to start to connect the dots. Why do you feel like you feel? Why did you fail? Why, did you, why do you think you failed? What happened there? after you get through embrace, which is the worst, (laughs) you can finally start to get into um, evaluate, which is okay, now I have this information that didn't go well, what's next, let's evaluate the whole situation. And there's lots of exercises that you can do to, to really kind of codify what's been going on and figure out your path forward. And then is the best part phase four, which is explore. And that's when you get to go learn stuff, try stuff. And there's a way to do this without like, Abandoning everything you've built, or if you have a setback at your job, you don't get a promotion, you have some sort of like problem, you lose a client. This is not like you have to quit your job and go become a founder and create a company. Like it does not have to be that dramatic. There are ways to go through this process where you are able to learn and understand more about yourself. And then it just gives you like a framework for like how to evaluate decisions as you move forward in whatever is intended to come next for you.
0: Amy, what has the process been like so far for writing this book? I know you've already written a children's book that you self-published, but you are now going the publisher route for this book. What is that process like?
1: Yeah, I can talk. I mean, I'm still in the middle of it. So I can talk about what I've done so far, uh, what I did to get my agent, what we did to get this in the hands of publishers and editors at publishing houses. What helped me the most is... Not only is setting a half hour a day just to write the book. So I have, I have a lot of other stuff that I do. I have a marketing job. I have my Forbes column. I have a daughter. I do a lot of other stuff. And so if you're not, I think, vigorous about your time, you're never going to. I mean, taking on a book is, it is a multiple year long process for most people. Some people can crank out a book in three months. God bless that. them. I can't. And so you really have to crank, like, you really have to set aside specific time. And some of, most of what you write will be garbage. Most of what I have written is garbage. I look at the stuff that I wrote a year ago, a month ago, and I, I edit it. And then I'm like, wow, I can't believe that was good. <laughs> because you just, you make it so much better by editing. And so speaking of editing, one of the things that I was really lucky to have was a friend who is an incredible editor and writer herself. And she helped me, like she looked at my pages and she helped me with the process. And she showed me an example of what a book proposal looked like. Because that's a very specific thing. Agents want to see a proposal in a certain way. It can't be too long, but it has to be long enough so that they get a sense of your writing and a sense of the outline of the book. And so having someone look at your work, I think is number one just like get a gut check from someone who is willing to give you that time or like exchange like services that you can offer <laughs> like in exchange for them editing and then get a, get an example of a book proposal. I mean, you can get them on the internet. They're not hard to find, but follow the format of a book proposal. Think through your marketing plan, you know, and everyone always asks, I think there's three questions that all the agents and then the editors ask asked me why you, why now, why will people read this book? And you have to answer those three questions and really have that message nailed down. I think for yourself too, as you go through this process, it's just commitment. It is a commitment. And so I don't think it's for the faint of heart, but unless you're tried, people in your network that can help you and I guess follow the guidelines. So when it ends up in an agent and do your research, research, you know, what types of books do you think that yours is similar to? but also identify how your book is different and stands out, but go to the, like look in the acknowledgements and go out to those agents that you see in the acknowledgements. And that's who, you know, that's what I did. That's like how I started pitching this. I found an incredible agent. And now I cannot really say much about the publishing house I'm working with because the ink is not dry, but we, we are there. So very exciting.
0: Oh, that is so exciting. Congratulations. That, is thank super, you. super exciting. And of course, once it is out, of course, we will be sharing it everywhere on Entrepreneurista through our Entreprenista League community. So thank super you. excited for you. And thank you for sharing all of those helpful tips. I know our members, especially who are interested in writing books, will find this extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to share also, like if you have notes for the podcast, writing groups that I know of, and there's like book coaches that you can hire, lots of resources out there.
0: Amazing. So maybe what we will do is link out to some of those resources in our show notes here so everyone can take a look at those as well. So thank you, Amy. Up next, how Amy balances her full-time job writing a book, a freelance career, and her family. Hi, entrepreneurs. You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entreprenista Agenda our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entreprenistas over at entreprenista.com forward slash newsletter. That's entreprenista.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the entreprenista agenda. Amy, you were just mentioning before the process of writing a book and making sure that you're time blocking a certain amount of time a day and that you are managing a full-time job and your family and a writing job at Forbes and working on this book. I would love if you could share some helpful tips on how you are managing all of this.
1: I wish I had all the answers. I wish I had some perfect way that like my day is meticulously planned and everything goes according to the half hour blocks that I set aside time to do things in. But every day is, every day is different. But what I, the things that I do well are I set priorities for the day. I want to finish this article today, or I want to, you know, do an edit of chapter two today. Like you set like a big goal for the day and then I have this glorious hour after I drop my kid off at preschool, before my day job starts, that hour is like my most sacred time. And I decide because I don't, I just get to decide how I spend it, you know, and I don't give anyone that hour. So from 830 to 930am, that is that is my time. And that's when I get to decide like, what fun project am I doing right now? Am I writing an article? Am I, you know, looking at my notes from something? Am I, am I reading? Something that, I mean, part of writing a nonfiction book is reading and researching. So I change it up every single day. But that's five hours a week that I'm spending on this, right? And I do have, I have one of those. I don't have it with me right now because I'm not at my home desk. But I have one of those cubes where you block like 15 minutes or 30 minutes. If you have that cube right there, like I can get so much done in 15 minutes. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And if you really just like focus on one thing and you don't let distractions come in. I also, you have a lot of moms in your community. I think there's no one more efficient than a mom who is between the clock of preschool drop-off and pickup or whenever you need to like get your kid or, you know, whatever that is. So to me, like I am on the clock from a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Yeah, I don't know anyone more efficient than a mom who is like, my childcare ends at this time. I need to make the most of the hours I have before I go into mom mode again. The level of efficiency that I have been able to achieve since becoming a mother is unbelievable. And also, I don't know what I was doing before because I was like (laughs) so much more okay with like, wasting time or like chatting a lot or doing a lot of things that were not maybe in service of a larger goal. but oh my god, a mom who's like on the clock or even just like the um, living with the knowledge that like your kid could wake up sick the next day and then your whole day is <laughs> is shot. How much am I gonna get done right now? I have this time she's healthy. she's at school today. Let's go and it's this like very meticulous just time management philosophy, really, it's not much more than that. And I I feel like I hear that from everyone. And you understand it, but until you live it, you don't really fully get it. So I think that's number one. The other thing is, I don't sleep a lot. (laughs) I have many nights where either I can't fall asleep, or I'll wake up at two in the morning, and my brain is racing. I don't think this is healthy. So I don't wanna like (laughs) I don't wanna like preach this, but I'm just gonna be honest about what I do. I get out of bed and I go to my laptop and I focus my brain on something and I do a little bit of work. I won't let myself do more than an hour at that hour of the night. Like I I need to try to focus go back to sleep, but in some weird way, like that is meditative for me because it it like turns my brain off, like my my wandering brain and it focuses me on something. And then I find that I can go back to sleep. So at least like two or three nights a week, this happens to me. And I know it's not the healthiest habit, but I think you are supposed to like get up and get out of bed if you can't fall back asleep. And to me, this is what I do. And it really helps me.
2: That is really great advice, and I love efficiency hacks. I'd love to know, outside of the cube that you have on your desk, are there any other apps or other efficiency hacks that you use? Any technology? I know Slack was a game changer for us when we implemented it at our company, and it just made us so much more efficient. And thankfully, we had that in place before we entered this remote working world, (laughs) Oh my god, for sure,
1: for sure. Slack is a lifesaver. I think that that's more about getting people's attention and having conversations, though. And that I feel like I use like during like the nine thirty to six of my day job. Like I'm on Slack with my coworkers all day long, and that's how I. That's how we make decisions. That's how we get stuff done. Or if we'll like, we need to hop on a, a Google Hangout to talk to each other. That's fine too. But yeah, I don't know if I have any other like tools that I use. I've heard of some, like some people try to uh, use something called cave day, which is the, have you heard of this? You like, when you want to do like deep work and turn off distractions, you go into a cave day, which you can block like a two hour or a four hour session. I forget what their packages are, but there's a, there's like a moderator that says, okay, I'm
0: Googling it. Here. It's time
1: for 45 minutes. <laughs> it's like 45 minutes of deep work go. And then everyone's sort of like on camera but they're doing work or maybe they turn off their camera. I don't know, but they do work. And then the moderator says, okay, come back. They like take you through some sort of like break or whatever. And then you go back to it. So it's like someone like leading you through getting stuff done. I haven't done one of those, but I'm, I'm thinking as I get uh, further along in the book writing process, I might have to do uh, one or two of those. What I find is very helpful for me is if I take myself away from my regular environment. So I'm, work from home most days I'm at my dining room table and if I go to like Luminary which is a co-working space in New York City owned by Kate Luzio she's amazing I think she's here speaking at the Mother Honestly Summit so I'm gonna go say hi to her but when I go to Luminary for either just like a morning a couple hours if I am just in a space with my computer and I don't have like laundry that I can go put away or something to distract me I find that I can get a lot of work done because if you, if you put yourself in an environment where all you have is your computer, you have to close your inbox, your computer yourself. And that's like really all you have, except like to get up and go to the bathroom or like get up and get some water. But if you're not like surrounded by coworkers, I don't know if a coffee shop has the same effect for people like going outside, going to a park, like somewhere where like you're not in your home and you're not in your actual office. If you have a day job like me, That helps me a lot. That helps me get a lot done.
0: Are there any tools that you use to stay organized with everything that you're working on and managing?
1: I use Notion. I I live and breathe Notion. I also use Google Keep. That's sort of like my sticky notes, like digital sticky notes. Anything that can toggle between like your laptop, your desktop and your phone so that if you're on the go, you hear something, you want to talk to someone, like you can jot down an idea And then you can sit down at your computer and you can like organize yourself based on those ideas. So I use like a combination of, I think, Google Keep and Notion.
0: Amy, do you have any exercises that you recommend that founders do if they're embarking on a setback?
1: Oh my God, I have so many. There are so many exercises and actionable things that you can do in this book. And I'm coming up with more and more every day as I interview psychologists and executive coaches, but Since we were just talking about how it's so easy to sleepwalk through a setback, I can give you a little teaser to one of those. There's something I came up with called the alarm clock checklist. And the point of that name is because this is intended to wake you up if you think you might be sleepwalking through a setback, sleepwalking through a setback. And that's just a couple things you can do very easy every day for one week. Rate your motivation on a scale of one to 10. Every morning, sit down, give yourself one to 10. How motivated do I feel today? How pumped am I or how maybe not pumped, but like ready I am to tackle this day. Then list two to three activities or priorities for the day. And then after that, list one word that describes your mood on that day. Do that for a week, whether it's a business week, a full seven day week, do it for a month, as long as you do it for a long enough amount of time where you have data to collect, then look back, see if you can connect the dots, see if you can make any patterns. Like if there's meeting with boss, this is a very like rudimentary example, but like meeting with boss and you're feeling like not motivated and your mood is very negative or scared or sad or anxious. Yeah, that's very telling. And if you know, you can connect the mood and the motivation level to the activity and you see some themes. And this is why you need to do it for a few days at a time in order to really get to what those themes are. A couple that's like a good one for sleepwalking a couple other exercises as you get into more of the embrace phase, that phase of hate, <laughs> because you have to like really deal with whatever's going on. We do have to ex- start to explore our curiosity in new ways, in ways that might be uncomfortable. And when you start to get curious about something, what that gets in battle with is your inner critic. And there have been a lot of studies that show that if you name your inner critic, it disarms it. So, in order to win the battle, to have curiosity, win the battle against the inner critic, you have to disarm the inner critic. And the way you do that is to name it and give it a goofy name, like Dr. Lori Santos, who does that Yale course, the Science of Well Being. She named her inner critic Linda Lane Sauce. I was doing a workshop for a group of executives in sports marketing, and they. One of them said, my inner critic's name is Slim Shady. And I think mine is Mamarazzi. Rotsi. Mamarazzi is here. She's on my shoulder. She's telling me everything I write is terrible. <laughs> and she comes up and I say, okay, hey girl, I hear you. Maybe that's valid. Maybe I need to go edit that. But also like, yeah. stay over here. <laughs> and calling it a goofy name just like sort of gives it less power. It's still there. You're not trying to push it away because it'll come back. But So there's all these little exercises and again, it sounds a little bit, maybe it sounds a little bit silly, but these things work and this is not just like me making stuff up. This is all psychology based and based on true science and lab experiments and things. Yeah.
0: I love this. I had worked with a CBT therapist years ago and some of these things that you're sharing were like different tools that she shared with me and they work. So I'm like, I'm all about it. I'm all into it. In your book, are you going to have like downloadables or worksheets that people can easily execute a lot of the things that you're sharing?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think each chapter has at least one, if not more exercises to do. And I think at the end of the book, or at least on my website, there will be downloadable exercises so that you can work through this effect cycle.
0: Amy, you have been a writer and con- contributor at Forbes for several years now, interviewing some incredible founders and women leaders, and I know so many of the women, especially in our entrepreneurial community, are always looking to get press, get their business out there because we all know what an impact these stories can make when shared with, you know, tens of millions of people. So if you can share any advice for our entrepreneurs who are looking to get press on the best way to pitch the media, to get their attention, to get those articles and content up about their business, would love to hear your advice.
1: Of course. I, and look, I started my career in public relations. So I was on the other side of this for a very long time. And I feel for the people trying to you know, pitch the very limited reporters that are out there covering this topic. What I do, and I can only speak for myself, every reporter has their own process and their own sort of evaluation criteria for what they're going to write about in an article. I have a uh, sort of like three C's (laughs) breakdown on my website that says like, here's the three C's of pitching me. Number one is calendar. I'm not the person, like if you have an embargo and you want to announce something tomorrow, I'm not the person that's going to break that story for you. I'm not doing breaking news. I'm not, and I'm not able to turn around an article in a day. I'm just not, I'm not able to turn it around in a week. I usually book like three months out. Like I have, and again, I have all these other things that I'm balancing. I'm not a full-time writer. So I will not write more than one article a week. So I'm booked right now through like the end of January. That's how wild things are, but that's standard for me. I usually book three months out. If there's something like really earth shattering, you can try. I will always be honest with you. You can always try, but I'm not likely the person to like break a story. So it's calendar. And then I also feel like I respect the art of the follow-up. So that, that, sorry, the second C is communication. I respect the art of the follow-up. You reach out, you don't get a response. You follow up. That's cool you don't get a response a second time, maybe try a third. But like, if you haven't heard from me in the second or third try, I'm just unable to answer every email I get. I would love to respond to every email. I am a people pleaser, recovering people pleaser. And I, I feel terrible ghosting you. I do. I do. But I also have to like set that boundary because I would get into a whole, a whole time suck. And as you heard, I'm very efficient about my time. <laughs> and so um, I do set periods of time throughout the day where I'm cleaning out my inbox and if you've followed up with me three times and you haven't gotten a response it it means that your email has likely been archived I also think you know get to know journalists follow them on social media see what they're covering like learn about them I do get a lot of pitches that are like for a straightforward you know beauty product and I'm like I don't write about this you know (laughs) I would, yes, I would love for you to send me an incredible product and let me try all of your stuff. But I'm not going to write about it. So, so don't, you have to really get to know the types of stories that these reporters are writing about. Otherwise it's just not going to work. It's going to be a waste of your time and mine. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And then like my third C is just coverage. The types of stories I write are usually about mission driven founders. If you are just pitching me product or even like a service that, yeah, it's like probably a great thing that you built, but if there's no mission behind it, or you're not helping some sort of undervalued, underserved community in some way, it's just not my beat, you know? So just get to know the reporters, get to know their timelines. I outline all of this on my website so that people who are like really looking for information can find it. I mean, the only other thing I would say is just build a relationship with a reporter. I ran into the PR person for the skim. Her name is Sonal, and she's wonderful. Sometimes she just I did a profile on Curly and Danielle of the Skim maybe a few months ago. So she knows I'm not gonna do another one on them for a very long time, if ever again. But sometimes she just reaches out to say, Hey, I saw you're doing this. This is cool, or like, hey, we just put out this information, just wanted to make sure you saw it, you know, not asking for anything, just keeping in touch, maintaining a relationship. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm probably going to pay more attention to her emails because she's treating me like a human, not just someone who like might write about her client or might write about her business. So build a relationship just like you would any, you know, it's like fundraising of your founder, right? Build a relationship, get to know what they're looking for. It's the same thing with media outreach. Would you say you prefer if a publicist
0: reaches out to you or the founder reaches out to you directly?
1: No, I don't have a preference. I don't have a preference. I've seen great Emails come in from founders and terrible ones. And I've seen great emails come in through publicists and terrible ones. So if you're doing it well, I'm down wherever it comes from.
2: What would be considered a terrible email?
1: If you've got five paragraphs and like, if I can't figure out what you are telling me by paragraph two, I'm lost. I, I don't know what's going on. It's nice I think that people are trained to do some sort of setup why this is relevant and so they want to do this big dramatic lead in but I, I read the news like I don't need <laughs> the big dramatic lead in get your pitches down the, the inbox the inboxes are out of control you need to get my attention in that subject line and that first paragraph I do like when people like bold lines like I I'm offering you an interview with Michelle Cordero Grant, you know, like, okay, I know what you're asking for. Let me find out why you're offering me an interview. Like that's helpful, like get to the point really early on and then provide the context. Those are such good
0: tips. And I feel like for email writing in general, Courtney and I always say, we're like, we can't read long emails. It's just too much. Just bullet points. Tell tell us what you need.
1: Yeah. And also I'll say, don't do like a, a cold email with someone who has not opted in. I get like emails from people that are just like, hey, I want to introduce you to Amy Schoenthal. And I'm like, who are you? Why are you introducing me? Like, I always get the double opt-in before you introduce people.
0: Such great advice, Amy. Thank you for sharing all of that. I know that's going to be super helpful to our founders who are pitching. Coming up, Amy shares her tips on how to get featured in the media. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code Entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entreprenista. All right, Amy, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions. The first word or words that come to your mind. Are you ready?
1: Okay, I don't
0: know. (laughs) We'll see. All right. How would your friends describe you in three words?
1: Energetic. um, Ambitious. And I think kind. Coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. So much coffee. All the coffee. (laughs) Bring
0: it on. (laughs) What is your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without?
1: I love Be Real. Do you guys use this? It's wonderful. It is so fun. And I only use it with my good friends. And it's like such a treat from all other social media platforms.
0: I have not been on there yet. Courtney, we have to test this out together because
2: everyone See, is talking I, about it. And I know you're looking at it. I have in, it's, it's social it. Life. I, I, <laughs> I have it. I definitely have it. I've used it. I I think it's because I, I don't have a lot of friends on there. So maybe it'd be, be better for me if I had more friends on there, but stuff. Yeah. Let's definitely start using it with each other. <laughs>
1: Here, I'll take one right now and then I'll show you what it looks like. Okay. Smile. I think I took a bad picture once and I was like, Ugh, this isn't for me. <laughs> so it looks like this, like it has your picture on top and then the picture of your scene in front of you on the bottom. So you see like it uses the back camera and the front camera, like at the same time. I don't know why. I just, I love it. It's like captures you in a random moment of your day and... There's some in my pajamas, a lot of my living room. And I, I just love seeing this for some reason. It's not like the highlights reel that Instagram is. It's, it's what it says. It's be real. And I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to love it for, but right now it's, it's what's lighting me up. I'm sure
2: Instagram will be copying it very soon. So. <laughs> uh, let's see how it all evolves. Okay. Best business tool that has helped you grow your business or stay organized?
1: I have to go back to Notion. It's very helpful. It is very helpful. It has like a task list. I have all my different project spaces. I have like one for the book, I have one for Forbes Women, I have one for the children's book I wrote, and then just like other freelance stuff that I do. And it's just all in one place.
0: Notion keeps coming up uh, for the past couple of months. That has been one of the top answers. So, uh, and
1: I have not started to use it yet. So <laughs> you might be convincing me now, Amy. <laughs> it's a bit overwhelming at first. It takes a while to really get up and running and used to it, but it's, I'm into it now.
0: All right. Last rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden talent?
1: I'm really good at rhyming, but I guess that's not really hidden because I wrote the children's book and that's rhyming. I can juggle. That's amazing. That, that is definitely a, a hidden toddler. talent. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'd I love, love I to my, see it. My fun <laughs> one. So random. So random, but that's what I got. <laughs>
0: All right, back to our regular questions right now. Do you have a mantra or quote
1: that you really live your life by? Ooh, okay. That's a good question. I have post-it notes of things that other people said that I really like, so I can share my favorite one of those. Shoshana Hecht, who is a wonderful executive coach. I interviewed her for the book. She's in the book. She's also become a very good friend of mine. One of the quotes that she said that I love so much is all periods of intensity eventually end. It is so simple, but it was such a good reminder. And we need that reminder because especially as entrepreneurs, you are often in periods of intensity and overwhelm and sometimes perhaps a setback or something that is unpleasant. And whatever it is, it will eventually end. And even if it's a positive thing, I think it's also a reminder to celebrate the wins, no matter how small, because that too will end, right? Life is cyclical. And so I think if you're in a bad moment, it will end. If you're in a good moment, live it up, enjoy it. So that's my quote. I attribute it to Shoshana Hunt.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I just wrote it in my notes app here. As a reminder to myself, I might even (laughs) screenshot this as my background. I love that. And I feel like especially as a mom, I think about, I do think about this a lot because someone actually shared with me, actually, you might know her, Jill Wagner. She shared this with me when I was going through stuff with Molly and she's like, everything's a phase. Like just remember that everything is a phase and eventually you'll come out of it. So I feel like it's that similar, similar thinking that you're right. Like every, everything that feels so hard and intense right now, it will it will eventually end. And it's such a good reminder for all of us as as entrepreneurs because we are all going through so many high highs and low lows, like literally every single day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, Amy, we could talk to you all day long and I loved all of the tips that you shared with us this past hour. But our final question for you is, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you?
1: Well, I am not... Technically, an entrepreneur, but I do love to surround myself with amazing entrepreneurs like yourselves. And so I think just being in the orbit of so many people that are doing so many amazing things to make society better is just very inspiring. And I guess my role in it, which is a little bit different than the question you asked, but my role in it is just to elevate the stories of people who are doing the work and building a better you know, way of doing business and a a better culture and society as we know it.
0: Well, thank you for everything that you do to make that happen. You are making such a difference by sharing all of these incredible stories of these women. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And of course, if they're interested in reaching out to you, what is the best place for them to do so?
1: Of course. I do have a website. It's just Showenthal.com. And then I'm on Instagram at show amysho, A-M-Y-S-H-O, LinkedIn. I'm still on Twitter, although I don't know what's happening with it. But, you know, maybe just stick to Instagram and my website for now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we will link
0: out to all of those places to connect with you in the show notes below. Amy, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our entreprenista League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member, open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneur, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entreprenista League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at com forward slash experience week. That's com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.